the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. While the Buff Nation may not know right now what conference C will be playing in come 2024, they do know the Buffs will be playing a Pac-12 conference schedule in 2022. In this episode, I am joined by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland as we break down the Pac-12 before turning our attention to how the preseason magazines are treating Colorado. The transfer portal, together with new coaches at the conference's top programs, has created new uncertainties as to how the 2022 season will unfold. Will the addition of former Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley, together with a herd of transfers, be enough to take USC from a 4-8 team to a playoff contender? Or will Utah defend its title? Has Arizona State turned the corner under head coach Herm Edwards? Or is the program a dumpster fire ready to implode? Why all the love for Arizona? a program which has lost 23 of its last 24 games. Is Oregon the runaway choice in the North? And do the Ducks have a chance of taking down Georgia in the season opener? What has become of the Bay Area schools? You think Justin Wilcox is regretting turning down the Oregon job? Have the transfer portal and a refusal to participate in the new world of the NIL rendered Stanford a program condemned to future mediocrity. And was there any positive press for Colorado in preseason magazines? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back. Joining us after a well-deserved vacation are Brad Geiger from Highlands Ranch. Hello, Brad. Good evening, Stu. And Neil Langland from downtown Denver. How's Neil doing? I'm doing fine. Hi, boys. Okay, so we're going to talk, since we're some ways away from Pac-12 days and the opening of fall camp, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 and what the world is saying about the Pac-12 and then what the world is saying about the University of Colorado and the preseason magazines. And spoiler alert, they're not saying too many good things about the University of Colorado. So let's talk about the story of the offseason being the University of Spoiled Children, otherwise known as USC. Lincoln Riley comes over from Oklahoma, where it was 55 and 10 in five years. So five wins more than Dan Hawkins posted in Boise State before he came to Boulder. So transfers, Caleb Williams brought over from Oklahoma. Travis died running back from Oregon. Mario Williams from Oklahoma, the wide receiver, who apparently is much better than Brendan Rice, who is somewhere deep in the depth chart at the University of Southern California. And Makai Blackman, who actually at cornerback will probably see more playing time than Brendan Rice, another defector mm-hmm. from CU that is going to be wearing the red and gold of USC. So, Neil, we'll start with you. This was a team that was four and eight. Three and six in the Pac-12 last year, the identical record of, oh, wait for it, the University of Colorado. And yet everyone seems to be uh, thinking that this is a team that has a chance at a playoff run. What do you think about uh, USC Trojans and their chances of being uh, Pac-12 champions and perhaps a playoff team this year? I would say good to very good. Uh, They have picked up 
some skill players and Lincoln Riley, unlike Dan Hawkins, I think is the real thing. They have a good coaching staff. They have all the resources of USC. And if they can assimilate quickly and improve throughout the season, um, they have a chance to be very good. My limitation there is they're great at skills, maybe not so great at uh, offensive and defensive line and perhaps some defensive positions. That's going to be the limiting factor, I think, for USC. Okay. But I would have to say that they're the odds-on favorite for the South. Uh, I know Brad, Brad disagrees. Is, is uh, shaking his head, which is kind of hard to pick up on a podcast. Uh, Brad, <laughs> this is a team that uh, went 22-21 and 21 the last four seasons. Colorado, if you want to match up against it, was 18-24. and 24, so not a whole lot different or a whole lot worse. And it's not like USC hasn't had four and five star players on their roster this whole time. I mean, Clay Helton did have one poor by USC recruiting standards class, probably would have been good to mediocre, at least at Colorado. But otherwise, four and five star players up and down the two deep last four seasons, and they weren't a playoff team is... uh, Lincoln Riley, the savior, and uh, USC going to at least some of the pundits want and make uh, the Pac-12 relevant again by making USC a a top-10 team. Well, first of all, the pundits are all over the place on USC. You can find them as high as about 12th and as low as unranked. Nobody knows. Undoubtedly, Lincoln Riley was a good hire. He is for real. He can coach college football. Undoubtedly, he will eventually have the talent that works there to win. I don't think it's this year. I don't think the cover's bare by a long shot. It's still USC. Um, I think playing in the Pac-12 is different. I think Riley will take some time to adjust. I don't think they're as talented quarterback as they think they are. I think they've got a lot of guys that they haven't sorted out who are the guys. And they got to go to Utah. And Those are the teams that will contend for the South. There is little doubt about that. And I don't think that SD can go to Utah and beat Utah. Um, They're going to be a good team. They're going to be better than they have been. And in the long run, there's every reason to believe that USC is just going to pour enough money into this, that they're going to be the top team in the South. I just don't think it's this year. Right. Well, Neil, even uh, using Bill Connolly's, uh, SP plus they had USC as number 51 team in the country with only about a 58% chance of actually making a bowl game, much less winning the division. And yet when they came out with their preseason top 25, they had USC as the number four team in the country. So if ESPN can't figure it out, how can we? Well, we have the see you at the game algorithm. Um, using advanced computing techniques and lots of intuition in that I think Brad is probably correct in retrospect, rethinking my answer about Utah being probably the best team. Still trying to defend my position. I think their previous coach lost the team and those guys quit on him and they didn't really play for him. So part of my pick was that Wiley's going to be able to win the hearts and minds of the players and at least get them to play, to play hard. And I'm kind of betting on the come for that. So many others seem to be doing that. But for some reason, I just think their offense was you know, pretty awful last year. And it's going to be better by midseason. I don't know on the schedule where they meet Utah, but that's going to be a great game. Yeah. Well, Brad, you were. We have Utah fourth game early. Um, yeah. And then they play, they, they do play powerful out of conference early schedule against Rice and Fresno State. <laughs> um, no. But, you know, yeah. they, they get, and then Arizona State. So they don't play anybody before they play Utah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Fresno State, they would probably be favored by about a touchdown over Colorado. But, uh, <laughs> Brad, you're, you're our champion for Utah. The defending Pac-12 champions 
what what makes you think that Utah can repeat? What do you like about Utah? I continue to think that consistency plays a role. Um, are they, if you, if you average up recruiting numbers, they're not as talented as SC, but they have a program that has remained stable. They know exactly who they are. They play the game exactly who they are. Over the last few years, they have just built a program that knows what it's doing, and they find the guys who work in their program, and they're talented as heck. They've stepped up in class. They're going to Florida early on, um, and that's a challenge. I just think that probably for one more year, stolid and well-coached beats flashy to win this division. I know we don't have divisions. I know it doesn't matter if you win the division, but I think for this year, Utah is the better of those two teams. Yeah. Well, uh, Neil is Brett was alluding to USC and Utah could re- uh, have a rematch uh, the way uh, the PAC 12 is having divisions, but not having divisions when it comes to picking the PAC 12 one and two teams for the PAC 12 title game, Kyle Whittingham, Sign a you know contract extension and interestingly enough put in uh, some facility requirements that if they didn't meet some uh, deadlines that he got paid even more and if he decides to quit he still gets to be a consultant so uh, Utah has that she wants to be I think we're on our sixth head coach since Kyle Whittingham became the head coach at Utah do you think that Utah's got it in it to uh, repeat or you sticking with uh, you think the USC as the as the goods in the long run? Well, I I think Brad makes very good points, and that first game between them, if there is to be a second, I think Utah would be favored. Is, is it at USC or at um, at, at Utah? I believe, yeah. Okay, well, even more of a reason to pick them. My theory, and even as shaky as it is and built on a foundation of sand, is that USC improves throughout the year and makes it a better game at the end of the year if they do, if they are rematched. Okay. Well, uh, continuity, how we end Utah of having this, you know, not just the same regime, but a talented regime, a very good coach, very good assistance. And the recruiting is excellent to their system. I mean, they're formidable. Yeah. Well, if it is, are there any challengers? UCLA, Chip Kelly has first winning season, went eight and four, still didn't go to a bowl game because they backed out hours before the holiday bowl with COVID issues. 18 and 25, Brad, in his first four seasons. Uh, first time over 500 since 2015. Uh, why is UCLA a dark horse pick? What is it uh, about that, you know, anything that's going on in the Chip Kelly world that should have Westwood people thinking that they have a chance to be a, a contender in the South? Dorian Thompson, Thompson Robbins may have finally caught it. And that means they may have enough offense to beat not good teams or even moderately good teams. Um, it's still very challenging to see them with their inconsistency, keep up with Utah. Um, and they're just not as talented as USC. Um, if we've got tiers, they're probably as good an argument for the top of the second tier as any, but it's just challenging to see them being able to rise up against Utah or USC or any kind of top 15 level team. Now, I've seen them ranked higher than that. I've also seen people who are extraordinarily skeptical. The magic, the bloom is off, Chip. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he may have saved his job last year, but I don't think the leash is uh, extensive. Yeah. Well, Neil, if you're uh, worried about your career and your chances of uh, sticking on at UCLA, I think Chip Kelly would be happy to look at his schedule of Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama before traveling for the first time. And the first road game is at Boulder at the end of September. Chances are UCLA is going to be three, and know, and might very well be ranked by the time they get to Boulder. Are we uh, 
fearing the baby blue uniforms of UCLA, or are we going for 4 0 against Chip Kelly and Boulder? I think, excuse me, I think the streak ends against UCLA this year. While UCLA was better last year, they were so inconsistent. I'm not sure which squad they're going to get. They lost a couple of key players on offense. Um, I still think they've got more than way more than enough to beat CU. So I think they'll probably be 4-0. But Brad's right. They're they're not top tier with Utah and USC. So that it would take some sort of fluke for UCLA to, in effect, win the division or be the top team in the division. Okay. Well, um, I'll come back to you, Neil, for everyone's favorite head coach, Herm Edwards, and Arizona State. Now, one coach they had was uh, in Athlon, you know, anonymous quote from a Pac-12 coach, uh, the biggest dumpster fire in the Pac-12. Now, they had a lot of losses in the transfer portal, and yet there seems to be a lot of people that think Arizona State's got it figured out and they are going to have a run this year. Where do you come down on the Herm Edwards Sun Devils? I think they're probably going to be competing with CU and U of A for the bottom three slots in the division and the lower division of the, of the entire league. Um, the overhang of the scandals down there, I, I think they're just a scrambled team psychologically. And I just don't think Edwards has what it takes to get them to the top tier. So they may be a bowl team, but not much else. Yeah. How about you, Brad? They have NAU, they have Oklahoma State. So there's a very much uh, potential loss in the non-conference and then Eastern Michigan. So they have a chance to get off to a good start. But then in Pac-12 play, they start at home against Utah. They go on the road against USC before playing Washington, Stanford, and then coming to Boulder. So is Herm Edwards going to be over, under, yes, no, 50-50? Herm Edwards still going to be the coach at Arizona State by the time they hit Boulder in October? That will depend on things like does Oklahoma State just beat them or pound them, how close Eastern Michigan gets to them, and then if SC runs away from them, I think Herm probably will find something better to do with his family. <laughs> Go back to ESPN and be yeah. a commentator yeah. and make millions uh, of dollars. Yeah. The fact, evidence number 3,273 about the impotence of the NCAA is that Herm Edwards does not have his contract burned in the freaking parking lot and to have his his insignia torn off of him like some disgraced captain in the British Army. The man is a cheat, a liar, and just a despicable human being. And the only way this team gets any better is if everybody decides they're going to just rally around her. They have enough talent to beat most of the teams on their schedule and enough inconsistency to lose to any of the teams on their schedule, with the exception, perhaps, of Northern Arizona. They are they are the, probably the least predictable team in the South because nobody knows. They could overachieve, but it would require an extraordinary level of coming together that they have not shown during this entire chaotic period of time. Yeah. Well, Stuart, guys, could I jump in just for a second on that? It seems to me that Edwards has already done enough that most schools would have fired him already. The only reason he has a job, and I hope I'm getting the names right, is the ASU president, Michael Crow, seems to have some... Well, he was his agent. He was yeah. Herm Edwards' agent. Yeah, right. So they're, they're tied at the hip, and they're going to ride off into the sunset probably together. But yeah, if you're waiting for the NCAA to do something, get in line with with, uh, our athletic director. But we're not going to go there right now. So that leaves Arizona. 
Brad, this is a team that has a 1-11 record last year after going 0-5 in 2020, lost the last seven games of the 2019 season, which adds up to 23 out of 24 games that they've lost. The only win being against the Cal team, which had about three-quarters of its starters not available, and it was a 10-3 game. And yet everyone is excited about Arizona Wildcat football. How about you? There are things that surpass the knowledge of man and optimism about the Arizona football team is certainly one of them. I mean, they start with San Diego State, Mississippi State, North Dakota State. And if they went 0-3 against that schedule, would anybody really be surprised? Not me. You know, and then they got Cal. They could be 0-4 before we meet them. I just don't see it. I don't see the talent. I don't see the coaching. There just seems to be, and maybe I'm wrong, but there's no tradition of winning, no tradition of coming together. The stadium stinks. It's a basketball school. There's just, I don't understand the optimism here. I mean, unless you're sitting in Tucson with literally nothing else to do until basketball season, I don't know why anybody's going to be rooting for this team. Well, you know, they did have a bunch of uh, transfers. They had a good recruiting class, at least by non-USC Oregon standards. So, and Jed Fish apparently has a personality, which arguably the University of Colorado coaches had trouble uh, communicating or at least generating enthusiasm. How about you? What do you think of Arizona and the fact that they're almost universally picked to be higher than the University of Colorado, which beat them 34 to nothing last year and had, well, three more wins last year? Well, unlike USC that I thought might progress over the course of the season, I don't see that for U of A. Given the recruiting class and the transfers, I'm not confident that that staff is going to be able to mold them into a cohesive and productive team until if it happens at all very late in the season. So it could be a showdown for the bottom of the Pac-12 South between CU and Arizona. I I just don't think it's going to happen. I just didn't sense any competence in that staff. Uh, when they were here in Boulder. Yeah. So I think their prognosis is not good, at least for this year. Okay. So, Brad, even though we don't officially officially have standings in the Pac-12 South, how would you uh, predict the order of finish in the South this uh, 2022 season? Utah, SC, UCLA, and then three teams. <laughs> to be honest with you. Any of those three could win four or five. Any of those three could win one. CU's got the tougher schedule of those three. Um, But there is no reason to believe that those other two teams are more talented or better coached than what we've got. Um, I think UCLA is, is probably the best of the bottom four, and I would be surprised if they didn't outpass those other three. But I I'm not trying to be a homer. I think those three teams are throw a blanket over them and and figure out which one comes out. But they're that close. Okay. Well, Neil, do you see Colorado finishing as high as fourth in the Pac-12 South? Um, It's it's going to take some fortuitous circumstances, not just within the CU team, but with its opponents. That is, CU is going to have to be at its best, and the other teams are going to have to have injury issues or something else. You know, Vegas, as I understand it, has a, a, an over for CU at 3.5. And it's going to be hard for me to take the over. So consequently, I think it's going to be CU um, sweeping up after the parade. Okay. Well, on that optimistic note, we'll move to the North Division for the last time. Start with Oregon, which is probably the odds-on favorite to win the division. Dan Lanning's the new head coach. He comes from Georgia as a defensive coordinator. Stop me if you've heard that song played before. He has a new quarterback to deal with. He has to start with a game, basically a road game in Atlanta against Georgia, the defending national champions. 
Brad, I mean, uh, everyone seems to think that Oregon's a top 10, top 15 team and will run away with the Pac-12 North. Any reason to not believe that? No. I mean, the most talented team in the North, probably the most talented team in the Pac-12 with SC. Yeah, they lost their coach and then went and found the guy that everybody wanted. Uh, They returned their entire starting offensive line. When have you, if CU ever gets to say that once in the time that I've watched them, I would prefer that. No, I, you know, they lost Thibodeau, who's as good as there is, but they can play with anybody. And oh, by the way, Christian Gonzalez is going to be trying to stop receivers. So I just, I don't see anybody else in the North being able to rise up with them. Okay. Well, Neil, you got a, a head coach who last was a head coach by his own admission was. When he was in high school and co- coached the third grade basketball team, going up against the defending national champions, representing the Pac-12 and waving the Pac-12 flag and trying to make the Pac-12 relevant in the national eye, is Oregon capable of doing that and uh, becoming a potential playoff team? No. <laughs> okay, well, we're running long, so... Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me... Let me expound. Um, (laughs) Oregon typically is in one of these kickoff games and does well, but finds a way to lose one way or another. Georgia, I think, probably may not be as good as they were last year, but they've got more than enough to handle Oregon. And that's going to put the Pac-12 in a defensive posture in terms of being selected for the playoff. and. I think it's going to be an interesting contest between SC in the South and Oregon in the North as to who gets to the championship game. Oregon may not even make it to the championship game, but they have shored up their defense, uh, probably a net gain even after losing Thibodeau because Christian Gonzalez shut down corner. He'll take care of one half of the field. The only time last year that he didn't have a great game was against the USC receiver, I think, that was drafted 10th or 12th in the NFL draft this past spring. So, And that was just physically being physically overmatched. But Gonzalez is going to contribute a lot to that defense. Plus, they have our old defensive backs coach who will make a difference in that secondary. It's just going to be a matter of trying to knit together some of the skill players. Okay. Well, Neil, I'll stay with you. If, if not Oregon, who would you see to be the top challenger in the North Oregon state, Washington state, Cal, Washington, who, who, who's your second team? If Oregon's a clear number one in the North, who's the, who's the challenger for the ducks this fall? Well, okay. Let me just kind of take the deck here and throw out cards. It's not Stanford. It's not the tree. It's not Cal. Um, it's not UW. So, and it's not Wazoo. So that kind of leaves us with Oregon State that seems to be coming along offensively. Uh, I like their coach. I like the way he runs their offense. And they seem to have a good offensive line year over year in a nice offensive scheme. Um, That's not a ringing endorsement, but by a process of elimination, I think it's OSU. Okay, Brad, I mean, you got a team that went seven and six last year in Oregon State, their first bowl game in eight years. Jonathan Smith does seem to, you know, have Beaver fans enthused. Um, Are they good enough to finish second? Are they good enough to even challenge as a dark horse candidate? Uh, Lindy's, I think, had him as a dark horse candidate to win the North. Yes and no. I think that probably they are marginally or not even marginally better than the rest of the North, except for Oregon. They start with the trio of states, Boise State or Fresno State and Montana State. With no disrespect to the Bobcats. Hey, that number is four, Number four in the preseason poll. Montana State Bobcats, runner up at the last year's national championship game. Yeah, uh, Proceed. Proceed. I have something to root for. I have the Bobcats. But then get SC and Utah together, back to back. So including trip to Utah. 
so I think it confuses me that that's a team on the rise, but they always, they tend to have an ability to, to make things work. And Smith seems to be or getting those people together. Um, they're not as talented as Oregon. They are probably not quite as well coached as Oregon, although we will see. But um, yeah, picking among those guys, again, if you're going to tier them, they seem like the best of the next. Okay. If I may, just what impresses me about Smith and that coaching staff is they seem to get the maximum out of their talent, for sure. And testimony to that is the second half of the, was it the 2019 game in Boulder where they were down or was it 2018? I can't remember. They came back from being way, way down in the second half and beat CU and just pummeled them in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out and CU has not been the same arguably since that was the, you know, the beginning of the end of the Mike McIntyre. So it'd be 2018. Yeah. It seems, I mean, athletic kind of, read an article about the, you know, the state of the program and kind of laid it out that that would be a template for Colorado, you know, Brad, that Utah is what we should have been doing for the last 12 years. But at this point, Oregon state might be what CU has to look for is that you have to know your identity, have to accept where you're at and rise up for the big games and win the games you're supposed to and not be, a team that makes mistakes and lose the games you're not supposed to lose. There's a lot to admire about what Oregon State has done, about the consistency they've built. And I think that there's stuff there to learn. I mean, Utah is what Oregon State could be in five years. If they can hold on to the coaching staff, if they can make those commitments, if they can improve their facilities like Utah is trying to do. So they, they feel like a team understandably on the rise. Obviously, the money and the prestige still sits on the other end of the state is the main difference. Yeah. Well, not even on the other state, like 40 miles up the road. Yeah. Uh, so, But Phil Knight has ties to Oregon State as well. So you never know where the next couple hundred million might come from. Right. So, Neil, Washington went four and eight. Oh, again, that's like Colorado did. Uh, got a new head coach. Kalen DeBoer came over from Fresno State. The Jimmy Lake experiment did not work out. Are you going with Washington or Washington State as the premier team in the Apple State? That At least, least Washington. <laughs> well, that's a tough, very tough question, Counselor. I'm going to go with Wazoo at this point just because Washington UW was in such disarray under Jimmy Lake and they were in Boulder. They looked like a dispirited team and it's going to take a while as they say, I hate the cliche to reestablish the culture, but it's just going to take a while for those guys to, to knit together. I hate to keep using that phrase, but to come together as a team. So the intangibles are working against UW at this point, even though they still have some talent. So that's why I'm going to go with, Again, process of elimination. I'll go with Wazoo. Brad, did you concur? You know, Washington again tends to you know have better recruits, um, and Washington State it only has an interim coach. Jake Dicker came in for Nick Radovich in the middle of the season, so it's not like they have been like Oregon State having Jonathan Smith forever and ever. That they're also basically starting over with the new coach, but. Uh, you would agree with Neil that Washington State's probably a better program at this point than Washington? That is, I agree with Neil. I think this is an incredibly close call. You know, Washington State had its own level of chaos last year, firing a coach because he wouldn't get his shot and ridiculous level of selfishness, to be blunt. But Washington's got so much inconsistency, so much turmoil. You know, they benefit from the fact that couple other teams in their division are less good. I would imagine that I would bet you that the day after Thanksgiving, Washington State at home is a three-point favorite over Washington. And I think the season will be about that close. You know, I did Washington State's got Wisconsin on the road. They have uh, the Rammies coming in. This, Those are two teams that are pretty even that both should be better next year than they are this year. 
they just seem so unsettled. It's really hard to tell what they're going to do. Okay. So Neil, let's, we'll move on to the, the Bay area. Cal seems to be getting the better of it at this point. Uh, they went five and seven last year, but Justin Wilcox turned down the Oregon job. Okay. So first of all, you have to explain to me why being at Berkeley, which has about as much institutional support as Boulder, turning down Oregon to stay at Cal, or you've got the institution that is David Shaw at Stanford that doesn't seem to be fireable, even though they went three and nine last year, lost their last seven games. They haven't been to a bowl game since 2018. So is Cal significantly better than Stanford or is Stanford going to rise up and be more like what we expect from a David Shaw program? I don't know what to think of the tree or David Shaw. He is, as I understand it, and he's demonstrated in the past to be a consummate coach. I'm not sure what's going on with them, whether it's their recruiting, their assistant coaches or, or what, but they have just not been the Stanford team that we saw from him in his first few years. And when from the previous head coach now at Michigan, they had that identity. They don't have that anymore. They don't have the strong running game, the power game and the strong defense. They really they lack quarterbacking. They seem to lack skill players. And their hallmark of a monster offensive line seems to have completely evaporated. So I would, again, process of elimination, I would have to pick Cal as being not head and shoulders above, but, you know, maybe maybe a few fractions of an inch better. And I think that Cal's coach seems to be on the rise where. Stanford's coach seems to have plateaued for some reason. Yeah. Well, Brad, what do you what do you see going on now on the farm in Palo Alto? Um, what's uh, what's going on as opposed to what's going on up, up the road in Berkeley? Again, they feel like two teams who are pretty close to each other in terms of talent, but one with a coach on the rise, and Shaw just looks uninterested. He can't seem to fire up that team. He can't seem to get back to that identity. And it may be that that identity just doesn't work anymore. Um, you may not be able to score enough nowadays, throwing, you know, 47 times to the tight end across the middle and, you know, running the ball consistently to win. And it just seems like it, there's no creativity to that team. There's no flexibility to that team. And I do note that they get USC, at least at home, and then travel to UCLA, travel to Utah, and get BYU and Notre Dame. That's five losses. Yeah. Right the only other, yeah, the only other Pac-12 school that's playing, you know, that kind of a quality yeah. lineup in non-conference. And um, let me just throw this out to both of you that some speculation is that Stanford's kind of, not an excuse, but kind of suffering the same way CU is in terms of transfers. Uh, first, they were hurt by the early signing period because Stanford has to get you know certain requirements for any applicants, and the players just didn't want to wait until they got their fall grades and you know got everything approved, and so they just wouldn't want to sign with Stanford because they didn't know if they're going to get admitted to Stanford. Forget whether or not the coaches like and they couldn't get into the school, and then with transfer portal like Colorado, and this was an article that Adam Munster-Tiger did in buffstampede.com, talking about how at Colorado you have to be in good standing and have so many credits for your class, you know, what your class rank should be, not your eligibility class, but your actual enrollment class. And that's what's hampering CU's ability to, you know, get transfers because they don't qualify to get into the University of Colorado. Is that uh, – a fair assessment or potentially a, a good reason as to why Stanford has fallen the last couple of years is that uh, the new way that uh, players are transferring into and being recruited by uh, college football teams, Stanford just can't compete. I think there's, I mean, it, it's not like Stanford doesn't have wealthy alumni, right? Yeah. Billion dollar endowment, but that, you know, it's okay. Yeah. But it feels like, and I think this is somewhat true at Cal. I think it's somewhat true at CU. Um, I think those three teams, those three schools, 
all dislike how the new process works. They don't like the transfer portal. They don't like name, image, and likeness. They find it distasteful and that they therefore have been unwilling to do that. And when you add to that, particularly Stanford's incredible academic requirements, I think that does play a role. Um, they seem to have been as late as CU to the NIE, to the name, image, and likeness. They seem to not really have a good, not be able to convince their donors that what they should be doing is paying players. And I think any team that has that problem is going to have problem competing. Okay. Neil, concur? Um, I do. I think Brad raises good points. And uh, I, I think, Stuart, that you summarized Munster Tiger's article on one of your uh, your essays. And I was astounded to see the many layers of academic requirements that CU had, which, while they may not be as high each individually as to what Cal or Stanford have, definitely it's a big limitation, especially when it comes to transfers and JUCO kids. My God, Utah, I think, builds a lot of its team on, on JUCO transfers. CU just can't do that. I think part of the problem with Stanford is that they've calcified with respect to their offense. And they think they still have a power team, but they don't. And David Shaw is pulling a Hawkins in that he is trying to pound his players square peg into a round hole. Just, they no longer have the talent to be the power team. And as Brad points out, they haven't modified their offense to fit their talent. And unless and until that happens, given the, their level of recruiting, they're not going to improve. So I see them being stuck. Well, I don't think that kind of talent's coming out anymore. You know, that there aren't, you know, the kid, the, the high school kids want to go to the seven on seven. They want to be the wide receivers. They want to throw the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, you know, they just haven't been able to, Stanford hasn't been able to find high quality athletes who want to play their style of ball. And I agree with Neil completely. They haven't ever changed their style of the ball to meet the athletes that are out there. So they're getting second level athletes. You know, um, another thing too, Brad and Stuart is that a Stanford degree used to be an, um, a recruiting inducement, uh, uh, something that would help them get kids. The transfer portal and NIL and the short-term benefits that it offers has swamped the long-term benefits of a Stanford degree to where it's no longer of benefit, really, in recruiting. Okay. Well, let's circle all the way back to dear old CU and what the preseason magazines are saying about CU's chances. Did you guys have a chance to look through all this being said in June, which is preseason magazine month, anything that you uh, saw, Brad, about uh, the University of Colorado that was positive? Uh, not much. Um, <laughs> they think we'll be better, but they don't think that will translate into wins. This has always been a problem with the uh, with the preseason magazines, and I think it's getting worse, is that the, the focus is on the top teams in the country and the top teams in a conference. Um, and with the exception of, say, the Mercury News, the rest get a blurb. Most people don't know anything about CU. They don't even have a Herm Edwards um, to talk about or anything else. So, you know, basically they looked at, I mean, these are the same guys who had no idea we were going to succeed two years ago. You know, guys who bemoaned that we don't have Jarek Broussard couldn't spell Broussard two falls ago. So, this is how it looks. The bottom of the divisions, the bottom of the conferences get short shrift. And so, no, there's not a lot there because there's not a lot written. It's They're tossed off. None of it surprises you. If you're going to make an easy assessment of this team, then it's easy to say that they're going to win three, two or three games. Um, so I went through and I read them all. None of them said anything new. None of them said anything different. Uh, none of them could name a coach other than Durrell. <laughs> So, Neil, if you look at how the rankings are, you know, Colorado's in the 80s, 90s, well, all the way up to 100 at ESPN SP Plus rankings. It was the 100th team, giving us a 2% chance of making a bowl game. 
if you look at some of the rankings, like I'll use Lindy as an example, Colorado's 83rd, right behind Arizona 82nd, and CU's non-conference opponents, TCU 44, Minnesota 56, Air Force 72. So by Lindy's rankings, Colorado should go 0-12. Again, you, you noted that the over-under was probably about like in the 4.5 range, maybe 3.5 other places. What was your impression looking through the preseason magazines and what they had to say about the, the dear old CU buffs? Well, I think Brad really summarized it well. And I've looked through those magazines, except for the Phil Steele, which I haven't had it. I didn't order sooner enough, so I couldn't get it. But um, typically, he's a little more balanced in his analysis, but without some sort of very attractive event, like a great coach or a superstar recruit, they just don't get any attention. And it's, as Brad said, without any big positives, there's no reason to suspect that the CU will be better just in terms of its own performance. If you were to do a simulation of this team against last year's schedule, I'd say they might win one, maybe two more games. But this year, with the grinding schedule they have, they have a fair chance with TCU, probably not much of a chance to get Minnesota. And I worry about them against Air Force because the last time CU's defensive coaches were unable to devise a scheme to stop Air Force and Air Force just ran over CU basically that game and I'm afraid the same thing will happen here. I'm thinking that one and two in preseason is probably the best that they can expect and I hate to be so cynical about it and it's easy to be cynical I realize but there's so much different excuse me so many different components now to this team coming out of the shoot, I just don't think they're going to be very good. And I think we ha- we have a quarterback issue in terms of who's going to be starting. And while our offensive line on paper seems to be better, maybe the best player on that line, his availability is in question. I'm trying to look for a positive. And I think Brad's right, they'll be better, but not good enough to do any better than four, maybe five wins against this schedule, assuming things go well. Okay. Well, Brian, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. I think this is kind of sums up what you've been kind of talking about, or, you know, that college football news, you know, this might be a better team without the great record to show for it. And again, that's kind of what Neil was just alluding to and the athletic and its assessment, Colorado has a difficult road. The Buffalo's non-conference schedule is tough, and the second-half schedule is a nightmare. The portal losses don't help. It's hard to see a path to six wins and bowl eligibility, but this is how Colorado is often viewed this time of year. So any chance that this could be a 2016 team or 2020 team, and we just don't know yet because the influx of new coaches, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be, and don't know how the transfers are going to work out, or are we just hoping against hope that this team can be competitive and not have the team fans base lost by mid-October? So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what they are saying in Kansas and in Vanderbilt right. and yeah, you know, places like that, that uh, yeah, there's, there's gotta be a chance, right? Yeah. Again. Our chance comes because Arizona and Arizona State and even UCLA are hardly world beaters. Because Minnesota may be better than us, but not vastly so. We have to be much better than we were last year to win five or five games. I I can't find six, I'll be honest with you. But if we can not get blown out, if we can be competitive. Um, then things might change and you can be more optimistic. It's hard right now. And it's hard because we don't know so much. There's so little we know about what this team is going to look like. And Neil's right. The, the beginning, the preseason schedule is not one that's going to probably give us a lot of optimism, but you know, we'll, uh, I think this team will be more fun to watch. I think it'll be more interesting to watch. I think they'll stay in in games better. And I think that's what we're going to have to enjoy. 
Okay. Good point, Brad. If I may, I'm sorry. Is that they're going to be less awful on offense, <laughs> right? They were unwatchable. Much less awful. Yeah. <laughs> they were unwatchable on offense last year, and I expect them to be better. Maybe not good enough to outscore other teams, but they'll be more fun to watch, less painful to watch than they were last year. I'll certainly give them that. And perhaps one grain of hope here is, was it Stuart Mandel and the athletic downgraded the program from, from night mediocre, to mediocre to awful. peasant from night to peasant. Yeah. So it's sort of fashionable now to dump on CU. And I, I, I've done my share of that. Perhaps it's unfair, but you know, the, they've done so little over the past few years to really improve themselves. It's hard to imagine a big turnaround under the current circumstances. Okay. Well, in the coming weeks, we're going to go back through the roster leading up to fall camp, go through the offense to the defense. And then a couple of weeks before the season starts, we'll go through the schedule for CU game by game, but we're going to leave it at that for now. And thank you both for, participating in our little Pac-12 preview. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Stuart. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, camp is approaching. Thanks for listening. With the completion of the 2022 See What the Game NIL interview series, we're back to our regular podcast with Brad and Neil. Up next will be our unit-by-unit preview of fall camp, getting you ready for the upcoming season. Then, it's on to the 2022 campaign. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. As you hopefully know, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast sites. If you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, All of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I'll be back again soon with Neil and Brad as we return our attention to fall camp. So, until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, Go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.